हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब so today i have with me sujatha banerjee di she is a respected dance artist of uk who works widely across the continents she is particularly recognized for her versatility as a choreographer performer teacher mentor sports scientist and an educator her command over the dance form and knowledge of dance science is particularly visible in her practice she maintains the creativity to flow in her sessions comfortably She set up her own dance company in UK in 1985 which has since become a registered charity organization. She has toured all over the world performing as a solo artist and also teaching and producing. She's created many innovative and classic productions while remaining deeply rooted in her Kathak style. Uh Sujatadi has also been involved in creating the ISTD or the Imperial Society for Teachers of Dancing Kathak syllabus. She served as the chairperson of the Classical Indian Dance Faculty of ISTD for nearly a decade. She is now a committee member, trainer, and senior Kathak examiner of the society. So, Jadadi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thank. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be doing this with you. Thanks a lot for Shreyadi for introducing me and making this connection. And just to start off with, Jadadi. you've spoken about uh, teaching kathak as a subject and not as a hobby what does that mean for you when we start learning any dance form or any art form we start as a hobby of course we um as they are um labeled as um uh, extracurricular activity so we all are uh, encouraged we do that for recreation to keep ourselves engaged and so on so on but i believe that maybe after initial 2 3 years depending on what is the age you start your dance then to me it's dance we teach as a subject what i mean by that when you teach suppose maths when you suppose teach english as a language there is a method there is a process there is a logic there is a discussion all these things would make you understand the subject and also think critically about the subject and that process is the learning process and that's what dance to me it's just not learning one dance item and just dance it and wear a nice costume and and perform everybody says uh, it was beautiful it's just not that it is to me it's a very small part the process is the most important part how structured your classes are how what sort of methods the teachers are following to enhance other skills and understanding of the body the anatomy the logic why i need to stretch my arms out or why the elbows has to be uh, in a natural position what it does to the shoulder joint hence 
the student, the learner will start thinking more logically rather than just do it. Imitate, follow, done. No discussion. So I, um, my approach to teaching is very much um, that, that very um, uh, methodical. And uh, I like to explain to students why, uh, for example, the arm when during the chakra has to go a certain way. To me, as I always say, it's not stylistic differences. To me, my um, my guideline is the anatomy. What is anatomically correct? That is aesthetically beautiful, and that has to be correct. If you, if I say, oh, that's in my style, I do it this way my elbow sticking inward or overextended. Okay, fine, I'll accept it. But when I'm teaching it, I will say, we don't overextend our elbows. If we do that, this is this is the reason. Hence, controlling the elbow joint would be a better option of dancing. So all these things like discussion and explanation would make the learner learn it more... Um, logically questioning for themselves. If I'm doing this, why am I doing this? If I don't do this, what will happen? So some thinking, some um, responsibility for themselves as well. Um, hopefully, <laughs> they, it will be there. So that's why I keep saying that uh, that I teach it as a subject. Don't treat just as hobby. Does it make sense to you? Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but I guess one thing I did want to ask you here is, so see, when you treat it as a process and you impart that structure, how does that improve your dance practice from a student perspective? Or how, how what, yeah, what will change versus if I was to just do, say, classes and attend those once or twice a week? There is a class, there is a riyaz, there is a practice, there is a rehearsal, there is performance. They're all done differently. So when there is riyaz, it's different. There is no agenda. You are just peacefully taking one or two aspects of it and you're just working on it. Whereas when you are learning, your brain is engaged differently. You are processing the information. You are analyzing it. Okay, if the right hand gone up and and then we do the left hand in Madhyasta Chakra and we do a turn and then if the teacher say, figure it out, do the other way. So immediately your logical side of the brain would work. Okay, in that case, left arm will be up and the right arm will be doing a Madhyasta Chakra turn. So I'm talking about this process. So from the learner's perspective, it is not just imitating, it's thinking and doing and processing the information and doing. From what I understand, it's that it's not only you can learn what you're learning right now and you can also apply it when you start learning new techniques from what you've built up from previously, right? Yes, and if this process happens, mm -hmm. then when time comes, if they want to take it as a career, if they want to work with other choreographers, they they know how to use their technique, where to use their technique, what dynamics to use in their technique, how 
how where is how much used when you come um, heavy when you come light on a movement when you uh, it's not just the same dynamics because you understand that um, various aspects what what all these things together make dance. My next question when it was about was going to be about the ISTD syllabus. Could you tell us a little bit about what it is and how have you been involved in it over the years? Okay, so ISTD is a is a mainly a dance exam board, which is which was set in nineteen oh six, if I'm not incorrect. So it's like hundred and fourteen odd years back. So a group of ballet teachers um, got together and said they want an assessment for their students and uh, uh, assessment system for the students. And hence, gradually, the the syllabus was in. They made the syllabus, the examiners were trained, and the exam started, and so on, so on. So um, then, obviously, now in the ISTD, there are 12 different genres um, across the styles, whether it's ballet, um, whether it's a chiquette ballet, imperial ballet, whether this is classical Greek, then there is tap, modern, and then the, the other side of it, we have done sport where there is um, uh, uh, ballroom, Latin, you know, the whole of the, it's it's part of the dance sport, which is more kind of social and recreational kind of dance. And also, of course, in the theater faculty, theater side of it, there is contemporary dance as well now, which is the latest um, introduction. And then classical Indian dance is also a part of it in the uh, sort of dance theater side. Um, and um, in the classical Indian dance, the process started that um, the, there is an organization called Academy uh, here, and um, they put together um, a, a project in the sense that um, all the teachers would come together and under one um, Kathak uh, teacher, she was leading it. Her name is Shushmita Ghosh. And um, Shushmita pulled everybody together, started looking at various syllabus available um, in India in, and or other styles and everywhere. like So there was a consultation. Um, it went on for two, three years. You write a syllabus, you put it forward. Then they say, what would be the assessment? When the assessment came, no, it is not standardized with others. Hence, we need to um, either cut down or change certain outlook. And like that, back and forth, it, it went to the... Yes, uh, we created a draft syllabus and then we presented it to the ISTD and then they looked and um, what they were looking, not necessarily the content, but the like the how many hours of uh, studying, 
um, dance and what is how it is assessed and all these things so that it's standardized. So uh, a ballet student, how they're examined, a Kathak student should not be any different. Of course, we need to maintain to our styles and uh, what we need for, to be a, a reasonably um, accomplished Kathak dancer, but uh, but the like the process, like the assessment system and all has to be same. So like that, it went back and forth for another year or so. And then finally, I think in 1909, the, the Kathak and the Bharatanatyam exams had started. We had to train the examiners. And, um, and then initially, of course, um, people would be quite uh, apprehensive in the sense like who has done the syllabus, who it is for, what have I got to do with it? Um, but then people realize it's nobody's syllabus. It's it's a it's a group of teachers who has created this syllabus, and um, and a fair, uh, clear assessment system is there, and the students are assessed. So and um, ISTD organizes a lot of teachers training courses because the whole idea is the the support the teachers and also uh, give this assessment system. So now Kathak and Bharatanatyam is very much part of it. And um, we have teachers in different parts of the world. In the USA, we have quite a few teachers of Kathak, a couple of Bharatanatyam in Canada we have. Then uh, in India, we have a few teachers following RSTD. Then of course, uh, some other countries in the Europe and um, and UK. and. Uh, we have in Dubai, then um, I think we also have, I mean, this is talking about classical Indian, but the other dance styles, they have any, everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> in most of the countries in 75 right. different countries. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's really interesting to see how far and wide it's gone. I've had conversations with a few students from Gurukul as well, and they've given me your, their perspective. It's really interesting to know your perspective from someone who's created it and uh so and then uh i guess when it comes to the istd and forming a standardized syllabus uh and since kathak is a classical dance form and the every the and every and like so many different ways of doing kathak when you standardize something have you do you get concerns about people kind of losing their creativity in their dance form and if so how do you address those concerns if you when you follow a syllabus yes you are very exam driven and then if you are not um uh, if you are not careful as a teacher you would just be doing exam but the students will never or not have enough experience of performing or because I'll, at the end of the day, it's a performance art. So um, there would be um, the performance focus will not be there if the teachers are not quite careful, which which is never the case, actually. Um, but the, I think there is more benefit of having a syllabi than not having one because See, if you are lucky, if you have learned from a great guru and you have, um, you know, that guru's uh, huge creativity and the lineage has given you a lot of 
material, lot of discipline, lot of um, very, um, what you say, stylistic corrections and so on, so on. Okay, because just um, diverting a little bit, what makes a great teacher is the teachers got to have the eyes, how to correct, the correction eyes. So some teachers, some gurus would have, you know, uh, that better because their gurus did, did that and so on, so on. So in the syllabus, what's the advantage is when somebody who is a junior teacher has just started to teach, of course, it takes a long time to develop all the, you know, experience and look at it why this person's shoulder is constantly going up how can i correct this person and so on so on if this person standing correctly how the energy is held and but you just follow a syllabus syllabus has a holistic approach by following step by step the syllabus you are automatically creating a student who is aware of all these things aware of the posture aware of the talle, aware of a performance, aware of creativity, like they have to create something in the syllabus right from grade one, six, seven-year-olds, like simple things they need to create at the exam. And then theory questions, they have to document everything in their files. So everything is kind of in a small way and it develops in each grade. It's done for you because it's the requirement of the exam. But in the process, you have done it all of it otherwise um otherwise often we see in kathak uh, just because you have a talented student instead of going through the five step chakkar three step chakkar four step chakkar two step chakkar single foot chakkar you can straight away without thinking go to the single step chakkar uh, without even explaining different, because the stages of this chakra, there is a reason how the body balances gradually. So the body realizes how I hold it, where I hold it from. But uh, when there is a syllabus, this this is gradually introduced one, and then the next, and the next, and the next. So the the ones who are the teachers who are not as experienced and starting for them is great because it's you just follow the syllabus and there is a structure and for the students also the, the they understand how it is gradually developing so it's a very um a very what is a productive method because they're just gradually developing uh, not randomly in a very progressive way they are developing so that's the advantage of the syllabus. And the, when we created the first um, syllabus in uh, 99, and after that, three times the syllabus been reviewed. Because once you create the syllabus and you realize start examinations going on, and then you realize, no, this thing is too much for eight-year-olds, or this thing is too easy for the 13-year-olds, or the, it, it is not possible to, within this time, Within the exam, it's not possible to do so many questions, hence cut. So it's constantly been reviewed. It's not just it's put together once and that's it. Um, so I think um, there is more, as a whole, there is more advantage of having a good syllabus and then not having. I'm curious about this. So since you, we're talking about chakras, 
and see the Lucknow Gharana and Jaipur Gharana have kind of different ways of doing chakras. Um, is does your syllabus kind of account for that, or is it more geared towards one style of Kathak? How does that? No, work? no, no. It is. Um, it is not at all um, any style um, uh, specific um approach uh, so we try to be as inclusive as possible in our language mm. so see in lucknow gharana particularly we'll say lari whereas mm. in jaipur they will say palta band lay band okay okay so we in our syllabus it's a le, um, lari stroke palta i see i see okay now in kathak we in the syllabus we follow uh, maharaj's book angakavya because kathak that is the kind of the first book where all this hastak we always did, it didn't mm -hmm. have names. And mm -hmm. these names were given. So that is the, that's the only book. And th those are the hastaks. Everybody would do it anyway. Mm -hmm. right. so, so we follow that Angakavya book um, as part of the syllabus. It's a, it's a textbook in that, that in grade one, they have to learn four of the movements they have to know the names and do it grade two they have to do another four like that it goes so um it's not at all any style um specific and uh, but even when we when we say um that uh, uh, suppose um, chakkar you were you were talking about differently done. That's that's not an issue. In the chakkar, you look at the clarity and balance. It's not whether the when you finish the hands are on both sides like the Jaipur Gharana, not come back to the utpatti to the middle. It's out. Um, so those things are not at all marked down or up or anything. It's just the clarity whether the if they had the the student had the right balance in the chakkar and execution and so on you just so what i understand you kind of if yeah with the chakkar you kind of take the common elements of and then use that as your metric instead of what's and instead of marking them on what's different so that's really interesting um and coming to my next question so jadadi uh we uh, since you are in a position where you've established yourself and you get a lot of accolades, um, we talked about like, you know, how people might tend to put you on a pedestal. And that's kind of also happens in general to sen senior gurus everywhere. We kind of almost, uh, you know, tend to almost worship them. And so where do you see, uh, like, uh, in your opinion, what, how should we perceive our teachers and instructors? And how you respect your guru it is a very um, personal like uh, personal choice and then right. also also how you are growing up if I have seen how in my house when the elders came how my mother behaved how they how she would touch their feet like her mama came or her uncle came or somebody you know the uh, other uh, people came how so these are the part of the culture you grow you learn automatically then it comes to your guru um then you automatically learn that you just um just touch 
Guru's feet or in front or do a namaskar and just bow down. Um, it's, it's, it's part of it. I mean, I, I would never penalize a person who is not saying namaste at the same time. Uh, I would think that is part of the culture. Namaste is a very, very beautiful word and namaste is a very beautiful gesture. And why would I not? I'm coming to somebody's class. I'm, I'm going to learn for next hour, hour and a half or so. And I'm bowing down to this person. Why have I come to this person? Because this person I respect because this person is going to teach me. I'm, I'm standing here to learn. So that jukau, that surrender that I am, okay, yeah. Uh, I'm ready to learn. The minute you have a lot of questions in your head, oh, I don't like this person. I, I'm not going to, what is she going to teach? What is he going to teach? I've seen better. You're learning, actually, it comes as a hindrance to your own learning. So I think um, the gesture of, like, I'm here to learn, okay, teach me, it's it's a um, it's a very good custom. It's a very good gesture. It's a very good discipline. Um, like in ballet, they do courtesy is kind of uh, bowing down, and it is very important that I've come to this place. I'm learning from you. Yes, teach me. I'm here. Um, but um, putting the gurus in a Becoming a guru is a huge responsibility, okay? Like becoming a parent is a huge responsibility. Um, uh, a lot of parents change their lifestyle as soon as the children are born because, you know, they, they have to be careful what language they're using at home, how they are talking, how they are shouting because they're going to learn. Similarly, uh, your students are going to pick up uh, how you are standing, how you are talking, how you are dealing there should be right values introduced. Um, so um, the reason I think the it's a, in Indian music and dance, this is to me is a beautiful system, the Guru-Shisha relation is beautiful. It's not just you come for one week, you learn, you did one semester, six months of class, you go on. They stay. I have students who have been learning with me for 20 years. And there is different relation. Why do, would they come back after 20 years? They must be getting something. It, the, the role changes a little bit. When they were like eight-year-old, how I taught them and how I talk to them, is it's very different now. So they must be feeling the need or they must be still learning. They must be getting something from it. And But I, me being a teacher, I should not ever lose the point that I'm the teacher, I'm here to guide. Uh, the way the students are growing, they, if, if I'm teaching somebody, obviously they are be becoming better and they are understanding the dance better. But I need to, there comes a very interesting uh, crossroad. I need to constantly develop myself. Not to compete with them, but as a person, I need to constantly update myself with knowledge, with skills, with understanding, seeing more, appreciating more, uh, accepting more, reading more. And that is when it becomes 
a continuous process. So they are learning, they're getting more from it because you are developing your skills. But that doesn't mean I am like um, a god <laughs> suddenly that I, I, I should not demand that I am the ultimate, not at all. Uh, in after doing 20 years, you reach only to a place. After doing 40 years, you reach a little bit ahead and so on. So it's it's a continuous journey. It's not that I've got it, that's it. I am the authority, not at all. We constantly update ourselves. So it's, it's a very personal choice how you respect your guru. As a guru, I cannot... Um, I cannot demand you respect me. It, it would come naturally from how I teach, how I deal with people, how they respect me. It will come naturally from that point. Coming naturally and the responsibilities of a guru. I really liked what you said there. One of my friends, um, a uh, very close friend. She was a ballet teacher and then a very senior uh, uh, dance educator, Linda Jasper. She, about eight, nine years back, she asked me suddenly, are you a guru now? And I laughed loud. And I said, well, I don't know that. Um, but I've been teaching for a very long time. I can give, I have my own philosophy of how dance should be and how uh, one should um, train and all that. If somebody calls me guru and because they're getting something more than just a dance lesson from me and decides to call me guru, I'm okay with that because I'm not trying to be a guru. <laughs> if somebody felt naturally and felt happy to call me their guru, I'm happy for him or her it um but i'm not demanding that call me guru you know but i i don't like when the younger children obviously call me by my first name um uh, whether you call me traditional or whatever i don't know um uh, if you you can call me miss Banerjee, <laughs> but you cannot suddenly i think um i wouldn't like that uh, but otherwise you know, I I have fun with my students. Been several times in in for various parties in nightclubs or whatever. Uh, but I know where my boundaries are. Right. And they know where their boundaries are. Fascinating to see how you kind of toe that line between you know someone who's approachable, but still their teacher. And then that kind of brings me to my next one. Since we're talking about your students, uh. Uh, when you teach them about, because you know, when you as a as a Gatak artist, you're gonna get the bouquets and the brickbats. So, how do you teach them to deal with both? What is your philosophy towards that? Uh, sorry, I I missed it. Teach them both means the about uh, dealing with uh, recognition and criticism. Okay. I, yeah. okay. I would say ignore the recognition hear the criticism and see recognition and especially now with the social media recognition means nothing really you just put anything somebody will say oh wonderful nobody would ever say oh 
how many hours do you practice? You should practice more. Or your back should be more straight. And honestly, your best friend even wouldn't say that. People would say, amazing, you danced. So you have to be your best critic. Of course, it feels nice when somebody says, but you must know. You would know that this has been good, this is not good, and this is very bad, and this is very good. So uh, it is an, uh, it's an ongoing thing, and uh, whatever is good today, tomorrow, you don't do anything for a month, it will be very bad next month. So this recognition and all these things, so ignore that. And when it's a criticism, of course, uh, critique is one thing, criticism is another thing. So if, if you see that somebody said objectively something, it, you may not like it, but even but still hear it out. And um, if there is any mileage, work on it. If not, forget it. So, um, but it's very important not to... You know, in the when we were growing up, the parents never had to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. You are so good. All the time, so good, so good, so good. Okay. But we never felt that we are totally ignored. Whereas kids are becoming really sensitive. You say one thing to another thing uh, and they are like, they can't take it. Because they're all the time, the whole cycle, it, it's, I think is backfiring in certain ways. You just want to boost up their confidence, but false confidence is no good. Like unnecessarily saying so good, so good, so good. And when you say so good, your brain, as we know, whatever information we feed in the brain, it remains. If I say so good, so good, so good, it's not kid's fault. It, it will register in the brain as I'm so good. So why do I need to do it again? I'm good already. So um, so you have to be very careful of how you take the recognition. And uh, criticism, of course, if constantly people are criticizing you, it's very demoralizing. But that's when you need your mentor, you need your teacher, you need your parent, you need your proper good friends to who you trust and who give you the right path and right answer and, you know, help you grow. Okay, and so that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think for me as someone who's just starting out new, I I tend to get caught up in the recognition a whole lot. I assume does it does do does it does it you get kind of desensitized as it goes on and you get as you get more and more into the farm, then you kind of start to care less about it, or how how do, how have you seen it work up plan out? See. Um, in the, it's very important to say, uh, well done. I can see that your chakra is improving. Okay. If I say good, very good, it's, it's not a good feedback methodology. You have to say what is good. Your footwork was much clearer today. So you know what you were doing as a student. Ah, I practiced footwork. She noticed it. Okay, good. 
Next day, teacher said, right, I see your Abhinaya, you were really involved in this. So you know exactly what is happening, how you are developing. You were not in a bubble just to say, very good. So yes, you were improving. How you are improving, that has been, that has that feedback has been given very specifically and you know exactly how you are developing. So, okay. yeah, so recognition because it's an ongoing thing, you know, like, uh, and in dance and so on, it's just in the performing arts, it's because immediately people clap, immediately all these things, and so it can get in the head. So many pop stars come and go, like mushrooms, they grow and they just disappear. They're very talented. They At the age of 18, 20, 22, they're amazing, but they can't keep it. Because it just gets in the head. Okay. So, yeah. So, that are the, so now my next question was going to be about Kathak in the UK. Uh, could you, uh, and before we go into uh, depth about it, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the history of Kathak in the UK and how it got started and all that? I'm not um, very sure of the the exact history but i can say that in the you know um ram gopal uh, udaya shankar ji when they were all here and dancing so people watched more dancing may not be kathak more indian dance as a whole and um, but not the opportunity of learning as such so the from the 60s people were probably watching more indian dance and but maybe um the 70s or so um late 70s when more uh, immigrants came from uh, whether it's africa side or they brought their folk dance and so there was more different kinds of dancing happening and and a slightly different approach to the kathak because um a lot of them were um connected to mumbai and gopikishanji so it's a slightly different uh, ways it came kind of roundabout way and then i think in the the beginning of the 80s when um Bharatiya Vidyavaman um, uh, started uh, classes with uh, Nahid Siddiqui, Pratapji, Pratapji. Uh, I think Pratap Pawaji was either he was traveling uh, from Trinidad, um, so he was here for a bit, or he moved here. I'm not too sure about that. And uh, so it's kind of properly kind of beginning of the 80s. And um, I came here in 82 for first couple of years. I uh, traveled quite a bit. So I was not teaching very um, um, sort of uh, seriously in one place or so. But I, I did teach pretty much after one year. Um, uh, so I would say from the beginning of the 80s, Kathak teaching uh, had started and then Bharatiya Vidya Bhavan, of course, being one of the, you know, uh, very um, top schools and institution, they, they established the, the da various dance forms, like proper classes. And, and it was because it is an 
organization. So it it had a different place. There could have been other teachers teaching in a small way in the community, in a little hall or even in the living room. But it was not probably recorded in the same way as the Bhavan's establishment um, started it. And uh, now in the, it's very strong. Um, Kathak here, Kathak and Bharatanatyam, there are, you know, professional dancers who are doing it. People are very aware of Kathak, um, the, even the word Kathak. And, um, you know, anything you do, more visibility there is, more, uh, you know, knowledge, more understanding. So more people hear about it, more people see it, and, you know, more uh, recognition is there. So, um, yeah, it's doing, I would say that it's doing very well. We have um, also young dancers doing very well uh, here, doing professionally. So um, I would say it's very positive. Okay. And so since where uh, you're in the uk i guess one thing i'm curious about is has uh, has being in the uk made an impact uh, in your in your opinion on how on the on the kathak form there because what i've noticed is when i interview people from different countries there is uh, who are doing kathak in different countries there's a cultural impact of that country to when to their dance form so has that been your experience as well Yes, definitely. Um, so how if you um, if I work as a Kathak dancer with some other dancers of non-Indian dance and um, I would um, learn how they whether it's a warm up, whether how their attention focus is in a rehearsal, how they are listening to a choreographer, how they are following the creative instructions, all these things is um, is enriching me, all these experiences. So, um, and then it will come back, although I am still teaching Kathak, but after all, it will all come back to my practice. So it's definitely wherever culturally you were uh, growing up or practicing, that the influence of that land will definitely be there. Understood. And just just to contrast it a little bit, since you've did your initial training in Kolkata, could you tell us a little bit about when you were training in Kolkata? What was Kathak there like, and what how was it different from say like doing it in say Lucknow or Jaipur? Dance forms where there's Kathak, Bharatanatyam, Odissi, everything is. Mm -hmm. In, in almost like an equal um, enthusiasm people are practicing. And uh, when we learned Kathak, um, I remember the, the Tayari side of it was very much encouraged. It was the faster the footwork, the, the full foot, not using that much of the heels, like tremendously Tayari, um, or even in the chakkar, like powerful dance, it was more encouraged. Um, and it, it was almost the culture of it. Like people would, many musicians uh, still now, if they're saying, oh, that dancer was amazing. Kya tha? 
you know, it's like immediately tayari is almost number one quality. Um, like, so the, the approach was uh, different than I would say in Lucknow, whereas uh, tayari, of course, is part of the dance, but at the same time, the, the use of body, the adai, the style, all these things were very much um, very much there. So, um, in fact, in the early 80s, when Pandit Vijay Shankarji came, who is who brought Maharaj's, Virju Maharaj's style, suddenly Kolkata's all dancers, even the Jaipur Gharana's dancer, they all went to him initially. Whether it's Malavika Mitra, uh, Ashim, Ashim Bandhu, uh, Mudumita, they were all doing full on. They were established Jaipur Gharana. They used to do, uh, you know, um, uh, with the Shushmita Mishraji and Ramgopal Mishraji. Um, uh, but they all came to Vijay Shankarji because he brought something uh, the ang, the sense of line. And the awareness of the line, the lay, you were doing laikari, but the aesthetically it's a different approach, not just power, how the cutting is going. Aesthetic is quite different. And it was quite refreshing at that time. Otherwise, why everybody suddenly came to him uh, from uh, being established dancers? So um, Kolkata's um, dance at that time was very different when we were learning and what you see today. And uh, I'm 100% not biased, but I'm saying it's a huge influence of Maharaji continuously going and continuously giving workshops. The, uh, you know, more you see the, the ang and the, the use of various lines and different movements, the variety of movements you see in the style. And suddenly you, you like it because... And you subconsciously, even if you don't go and learn directly, but if you are, you see something beautiful, you you take it on. It's it's a human nature. You see something, you don't say like it's very beautiful, but it's somebody does it, so I wouldn't do it. But you take it in your own way. So I think Kolkata's um, scene has changed over the last 30 odd years, uh, 30, 40 years. And Pandit Pijeshankar played a huge role in that. Maharaji, when uh, Padatik asked Maharaji, do something, send something, because Maharaji uh, used to go uh, for workshops and then he didn't, uh, he sent Vijayashankarji and uh, it went down very well. Okay, and that, uh, that's really fascinating to hear how that happened and the progression and what Kathak was like in the 80s. And when you talk about Tayari, that's something Chitesh Dasdiji and, and like a memoir written about him, he talks about Tayari and Lekari a lot. So it's yeah. really interesting to hear you talk about it as well. Yeah, because um, see, um, my first, um, my second dance Kathak teacher was uh, Ruby Bondupadai. And Ruby the and Chitesh Da from Ram Nara and Mishraji, um, where. Uh, from the from the same guru, and more than the laikari was very different at that time. It's on the on the it's not that much of jati. It's not that much of a quarter beat, half beat. It's not that kind of. It's kind of like 
तैयारी मे बी इन दिशाती और और इज जस्ट मैसिव तैयारी तत्काल वुड बी लाइक क्रेजी स्पीड तत्काल एंड बट देन दिक्स दिफ्ट वॉज वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग सी महाराजी हिमसेल्फ से इज लाइक uh you know he is obviously as you know that his father passed away when he was um, like 9 year old so he learned from his two uncles lachumaraji and shamumaraji lachumaraji was master of um bari ki little little work and detail and so on whereas shamumaraji was very tayari and like like full on and many of kolkata's um gurus is to all go to shamumaraji to learn um to lucknow there is to go you know bandana shenji and then uh, maya chatterjee many many people is to actually learn from shambhu maharaj ji and um, so you can see that where it's coming <laughs> you know it's really interesting and how maharaj ji says that when um really all this history is fascinating that um he used to go to different uncles at different times whether it's a summer holiday whether it's a winter holiday when he would go to his um you know bade um, chacha then he will say oh you've been last time to the other one like suppose lachumara oh you were finished you dancing like this kuch nahi hoga abhi and then he will dance in oh. shamumaraj's way and then he will go back to the other chacha he will say you went there huh so it oh. totally gone <laughs> so they is totally gone you're dancing so badly koi nahi dekhega and then he realized when he would go to one one chacha he will dance whatever way he likes then he he learned the politics of it you know he learned how to use it and then in later life he combined everybody's to make his style fascinating Okay, on a very very that's very interesting because on a very like different scale altogether. Because I'm, um, it happens to me every now and then in class where I put, pick up something from a workshop and I am practicing in my class and I do it chakka a little differently and my teacher be like, "Where did you get that from?" I'm like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> then I'll switch it again. So it's interesting to like you know you remember okay fine this teacher likes it this way this teacher likes it this way and. but yes that does happen sometimes but uh so that's really interesting i love that story you told me and it really brings them to light about that part and i guess my next question just wanted to discuss with you when it comes to learning since we're talking about learning learning from people uh when it comes to right now your explorations in kathak what are you learning right now sujatali <laughs> I realized that uh, there's so much to learn in Kathak, so I might as well learn something else totally different. Uh, I'm learning to play piano now, so I wanted uh, to play piano, not so passionately all my life, but I wanted to um, learn to play. But piano learning is has a lot of hassles. You have to have the instrument, you have to have the teacher, and you know. but um recently i that's kind of my lockdown present to myself and um my christmas present to myself my birthday present to myself i bought myself a piano and um mm-hmm. and then i'm learning to play the instrument 
So, and I'm really loving it. And um, the teacher uh, who teaches me, Rob, he he has not taught adults very much. And he probably doesn't realize how demanding rhythm, rhythmically Kathak is and how much work I do and so on, so on. But I love learning the simplicity in explaining a different instrument and the same, ultimately, it's the matra, you know, is the space between one and two. So if you understand that that space, um, in, then whether it's divided by three or five or seven or nine or four, doesn't matter. But you, so their explanation is, is quite different. And I, I like, I'm, I'm actually loving it, <laughs> learning it and learning it in a very different uh, way. I hope to. I, I I don't know if you will, but yeah, if you post something somewhere, let me know. It'll be interesting to see where you go with the piano journey. Oh it's really God. interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, then uh, the next thing is wanted to discuss with you is dance as a career. Since you and since with with that we'll get into your dance company as well, but so, uh, since you've like when you want to shape someone uh, for dance as a career first i guess for first thing i guess let's just start off with how do you recognize students who you think will be able to take up dance as a career what aspects do they need to have do you know um as in any profession um the abil- the the attitude is very important like if you have the right attitude you can work in the profession so if you are a dancer if your attitude is i'm going to do 9 to 5 job i don't have anything age anything piche i want to do only this much assign then don't be a dancer okay so the attitude has to be right on besides that there are certain skills, the core skills a person would need. The sense of le. There, you know, do you know this Patra Prana Shloka, which was written in you know fourth century in the Abhinaya Darpan? Uh, the ten qualities of a dancer. Hmm. Okay, which is very interesting. I did a one whole lecture um long time back, referring it back to my sort of dance science reference dance science parallel um so it's like jabah stiratang rekha chabhavari drishti shrama medha buddhi shraddha bacho gitam bacho gitam dashashmrita so jabah means the swiftness rekha means the sense of line chabhavari ability to also turn Drishti means focus. Drishti is not just the physical drishti how you're looking it's the, it's the your inner drishti focus um uh, uh you need some kind of intelligence um shraddha uh, your respect vacho gitam ability to speak in the sense communicate not necessarily i look at it like you need to be able to speak but the communication ability vacho gitam ability to sing the sense of that means musicality so these are the 10 qualities to make a, an artist, make a dancer. Although you may not agree. Oh, drishti shrama. Shrama is like working hard, okay? Endurance, basically. 
so these are the these are the things you it, it was stated in the vinaydarpan in the fourth century written as a patra prana um but i'm saying it is important the sense of line the body is hard working the the somebody who can move quickly not just like you know like just the ability the swiftness of it of course they can move slowly so there are certain qualities you see and um, and above all the attitude and the passion for it you need to be have these qualities as well as that i want the passion for this subject for this art form got to be there can you tell us a little bit about the satagani dance company how many people you have what's its scope and everything see the, um when i used to do a lot of performances and create different programs with me being the main dancer so i danced under my company name but since i don't really perform and um, i choreograph so the the whole nature of the company has changed uh, if i need somebody a particular skill suppose i need a bharatanatyam dancer for a project then i would just book somebody to come and join the company so we don't have um like full time dancers in the company uh, sadly i wish i could afford to have that but most of my dancers are mainly trained by me but when i train people um see i'm using the word train people i'm not saying i teach people when i train people okay i, <laughs> I train them to be professional hmm. okay so to me there is a difference between teaching and training training for what if i want to be a dancer i have a different training program if i want to be only a kathak dancer i have a different training program so i when i see some young um students very keen and I, they are also interested to invest in in the you know the time for to train to be a dancer i give them a totally different dance training program they they don't need to know hundreds of the high tukras that means nothing if they understand how to use the body how to be creative how to use your skills in the right time in the right place with the other choreographers with the other dancers other forms of dancers other teachers how to take instruction from other teachers how to your same body how you, you can suddenly be thrown into in my summer schools i would have african dancing i would have choreographic lecture because i do believe in a professional training you need to throw them in the deep end you need to throw them from a very uncomfortable uncozy place so the body is ready to take instructions uh, from different people different expectation different body movements different things of course they are kathak dancers but they can i always say that if i train somebody they should be able to also dance with other choreographers non 
Indian and non-Kathak choreographers. And many of them are successfully doing that, dancing happily, because when you train somebody and make it a such a niche stylistic, you are actually limiting their ability. You know, when somebody is, suppose, an orthopedic surgeon, and mm -hmm. they only deal with the ACL, the crucial ligament, suppose, then only right. they will, either they are superb, they are so specialist that mm -hmm. people would only have them, or they will have less work. Right. But if you are a general orthopedic surgeon, you know all the orthopedic, mm -hmm. you you would you would be more um, employable. Right. In niche, but within that, a little, um, Leave it. a little uh, versatility. Your mm. your strength is your kathak. That should not be your weakness. Your strength should not be your weakness. Your training, your heavy training should not be your weakness. It should support you. So training has to be such that it makes you a better person, a better dancer, a better artist. Not just I do amazing lay, but I cannot work with anybody if they are not good in lay. Hmm. What's the point? You talked about versatility and throwing that intensely throwing people into the deep end. So do you have an and do you have an example of that where you say you threw say a student of yours into the deep end and they kind of thrived or what happened like yeah. One of the students uh, Vidya Patel when before I mean now she's even more experienced working with different people mm -hmm. and uh, there was a time he she was working with Richard Dalston who which is a very well known um, dance company mm -hmm. uh, contemporary dance company and okay. very well known and then Vidya was staying with me and she was starting the project and she was really really anxious really mm -hmm. anxious and uh, when you know when this kind of companies you go and work they always with these top companies they will have a technique class in the morning before the rehearsal starts that means ballet technique contemporary technique um uh, you will just do technique but she hasn't done ballet she hadn't done ballet at that time she hadn't done contemporary at that time mm -hmm. so and very anxious very very anxious and then i remember like saying to her only thing you need to just Watch and listen and follow the instruction and always keep that in mind. If I go and do a workshop with the top ballerinas, they will be in the same place as you will be tomorrow when you go. So just because you are not trained in ballet and contemporary, you're going to work with the contemporary dance. That doesn't mean you are bad. It's just because that's not your speciality. But if your body is, if your brain is processing the information, okay, they move this way and then... That visualization skill is very, very important. And then and you were just you were just doing it in your and, and listen to your body. Body will tell you which way to do. Um and you will be fine. And then she was fine and she was the star in the company. <laughs> Everybody loved her. So I mean your attitude has to be right and your body, you know, in a very stylistic dance, you know, in a very stylized dance, when your training is not really designed properly your hard training your amazing training can make you actually a um, little bit 
what to say. You were so specialized that you were not able to work with other people. Understood. That's really interesting. That I really like that story of the Vidya that you told me about her working with the Valley Company, and kind of brings me to my an expression that is about um, when you say throw people on like when like from your perspective when you are kind of letting your students be do you have a tendency do you ever have any tendencies of trying to reach out and trying to you know help them when you shouldn't be and if so how do you deal with them those tendencies so to say again to to the students help them yeah, yeah. yeah like you know when as a, as someone who's a mentor as a parent you know there's there, you need to you, like you said you need to let them be on the deep end but do you ever feel like reaching out and helping them even when you shouldn't or do you get those do you have those tendencies or not they you know they know if they're in real trouble if they mm-hmm. need to even talk to somebody right. i'm really depressed or mm-hmm. i hurt my knee or mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't know what i do of course right. they know i'm there but at the okay. same time then they know how i teach how i how i want my students to be independent how i want the i want want them to be better than me how i want them to really they have to be better than me because i'm teaching them <laughs> <laughs> right so so um, they know they can always um, come back if there is any trouble but um you just you know this experiences are very important like you you go and i am uh, there there are students who go to various uh, auditions i send them to go and do this audition this all contemporary ballet dancers auditioning go nobody will kill you <laughs> at the most you will not be able to do you will not get through that's fine but you will learn in the audition hmm? understood that is nice and then another question i really want to touch upon is uh, say your productions as you've done uh, as part of your dance companies um which one uh, so in terms of are there any you'd like to mention and are there any an- anecdotes from your production production that you'd like to share at this point um somehow i mm-hmm. uh initially i ended up doing a lot of issue based productions but mm-hmm. you know i'm not i was never i mean now mm-hmm. with other people around our uh, you know marketing person who was there and then uh, with <laughs> their suggestion you call or pressure you call i had to make sure i record things but before we never bothered actually we come from such a, a generation and on top of that you know a, a person i am that i never thought that i am such a superstar that everything has to be recorded i'm not a um you know every time camera going and whatever i'm doing it's been recorded it's fine i've done it it's good it's okay but then realize sometimes you regret gosh i wish i could see it some some so i never very much invested on recording the uh, lot of the stuff i did but um a s- few things i did one was uh as i said earlier one thing i realized the issue based work get get me going a lot uh, so um 
there was in that was in 2007 2008 i um there was in bbc news there was still the the female embryos being aborted and i was like on fire so i created a production at that mm -hmm. time i collaborated with a with a theater director i told her to write a script what i wanted and uh, so that was called a sacred thread uh, so that production i have some video of it but i don't think it is out there anywhere because we just have some sort of archiving uh, maybe at one point we will you know make it available like even small clips but um we don't have any available so that was one work uh was very interesting and then other one was it was with puppetry uh i had uh, puppeteers and it was called Draupadi the Fireborn Princess and again that is I think a little bit of a promo video is available somewhere on the YouTube or somewhere Draupadi the Fireborn Princess mm -hmm. and uh, I directed it I did an act on it but it was also very interesting Sandra I wanted to challenge the stereotype you know what we think princess should look like I had a I wanted an African storyteller to be Draupadi. I was, uh, because it was an Indian dance production and you always see a so-called typical pretty person coming. Um, what you call pretty, that's also questionable. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? Like you see a princess and you you have some kind of idea what a princess likes. So, and uh, Draupadi, a fireborn princess, you know, as we know, Draupadi's another name was Krishna. Not only that she had dark skin, but at the same time, she was Krishna's friend as well. So anyway, so in that, there was um, uh, the, the one thing was like the war, like why they went on war because obviously Draupadi was um, that Chirharan happened. So there was a little message and issue was that it was with the puppeteers, with the puppets. And then um, then I did another issue-based work. I mean, creating little, like this year, I probably created 15 pieces, like 15 choreographs at least maybe even online but these are the productions i'm talking then in 2016 i had that was a big summit on the environment the world environment so i created a project at that time sometimes i listen to the news and all that and then certain things get into me as <laughs> i have to do something and um so i created one production called together we can it was about the global warming and respecting that what the earth is going through and then after that 2018 i created the biggest production it was swan lake in kathak style um the whole of the ballet uh, but again i took the the artistic liberty to change few things what i think um uh, tchaikovsky wrote in you know in 18th century and at that time uh, people didn't think from beyond Russia, um, nobody looked at. So there was one act when it was all uh, sort of European kind of dance in the court happened. So in that I put the Indian dance, like the music was very Indian at that time is because um, 
at that time, nobody looked <laughs> other way. <laughs> they looked to the West. And, um, and then I changed, as I said, certain things. I, I made the swans um, kill the, the bad guy um, because swans can be aggressive. They are not just mm. pretty little thing. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, so, so I changed the story a little bit. Um, then also um, a couple of other things I changed in the story. But uh, I gave my kind of treatment in it. It was all Kathak. And uh, that's it. That was in 2018. Uh, yeah. And we produced this Hemantika Festival. Mm -hmm. It's going on at the moment. Every November this year has been the fifth year. And um, yeah, so uh, it's quite full on. Actually, we did a dance synergy. It was 26-hour nonstop dance around the globe. Um, it was a crazy idea. But I always enjoy working with people, lots of people. Everybody will be excited and everybody will be working together. That gets me going, actually. Uh, so the dance energy, we had like 55 odd artists from around the world, whether it's a Argent Argentinian dancer to Mark Morris in the, in the contemporary dance to African dancers to dancer from Australia, Indonesian dancer, dancers from Pakistan, dancer from Bahrain, like everywhere, everywhere. It literally went around the globe. It started in, in the UK. It crossed the Atlantic, Brazil, Argentina, Canada, USA, East Coast to the West Coast. It traveled. Then it went to last minute, the New Zealand performance got canceled. But then it went to Australia, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, then uh, uh, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. Then it came to Bahrain, South Africa, Zimbabwe. Um, uh, it came to Italy, Spain. <laughs> it, it was quite crazy. Greece. Then it came back to London. So did it to production twenty six hours. <laughs> yeah. I got. I had a chance to be a small part of your Hemantika festival because I did the Kathak Taster workshop with you. That was really fun as well. Yeah, and thanks for sharing all those stories. I really like the one you talked about, Draupadi, and the plot twist with the swans. Uh, yes, they are, they can get mean sometimes. Coming to my last question, uh, Sujata Di, um, I guess for you, I do want to ask you is, uh, since you've done so much and there's, and you, you doesn't seem like you're stopping anytime soon, you're, you're kind of you know, pushing on. Uh, when it comes to Kathak, what do you want your legacy and contribution to be when it comes to this dance form? I don't want the I want the dancers to be extremely skilled mm -hmm. at the same time with open mind, not st stuck up in the thing. Oh, I do Kathak, hence I don't do anything. Hmm. Um, I want them to, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to, I am quite, uh, see, when you see you train some people and they go and join in Maharaji's workshop, they, they are absolutely comfortable and dealing with it. They'd go and do an African 
workshop. They're absolutely comfortable dealing with it. They are dealing with a, a top choreographer of contemporary dance. They're absolutely comfortable with. Then you know that probably I'm doing certain things right. And this is what my philosophy is, What a, mm. who you train. They need to be really um, well-trained so that they can survive well in the profession. You know, your training has to, that's why I keep saying all the time, training. You know, I'm writing a book, uh, which will be a teacher's handbook. Um, this year, it was supposed to be, I should have done a lot of work, but I've done lots of other work except that, as usual. Um, but um, in, a, in a year or so, um, at the most, you know, year and a half, that should be out. It's a handbook for teachers, which it is like everything, dance psychology to dance teaching methodology to safe dance and various tips and how to engage people in dance. And uh, nothing that the teachers don't know, maybe, but it's just consolidating all the thing and the benefits of that. And, and you know, it makes me sometimes quite sad that the not everybody treats Indian dance, classical dance, as skillful or as, what to say, that it's always an entertainment and a hobby. They don't give it that always. Many teachers don't. Your approach has to be right then. Like if you were able to teach only up to, you know, level four of the students, may it be. Then if you are not able to teach them, send them to another school. I'm not saying send them to me at all. But, <laughs> but do you know when you go and see ballet schools, the teachers are absolutely fine. No, I teach up to grade four students. I teach only primary. They are not they don't feel bad that I don't teach vocational students because I tell you why. When you teach them in the right way, then these dancers would be aspiring because they they smell the right thing. They, they taste the right thing. So they will say, do you know what? I want to be a dancer because it is, it is, it is good. It is taking. It's not just at a community level. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not just you get ready and do a dance. No, it has a status. It's is I I can, you know, with this I can go far. So if if as a teacher we don't treat it like that, we may be losing some of the talents who who were quite good, who could have been with the right nurturing, they could have actually done much better. They could have gone in the profession, but yeah. they just think money is not always the case you know mm. people at the end of the day want to feel satisfied with what they're doing and they it is intellectually also challenging physically challenging something which is keeping them wonder that yes this is fascinating all the time you know challenging so uh, the teachers i'm very happy when you know the students go and uh, work with other choreographers i'm like i'm never like go and come and i only choreograph on you i'm very proud they learn other with other choreographers you know they go and uh, work with other choreographers it's great because they are growing you know so um okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that was great. Um, yeah, I think uh, 
I get I understand where you're coming from in terms of like accepting who you are as a teacher, which is very interesting. And, and I think from like the perspective of a place in America, there are entire states where there are only it's only one academy. So sometimes teachers are kind of called upon to do more than they asked for. So they're very mm-hmm. interesting dynamics yeah. depending where you are, what the you know the demographic how many kathak academies are there and if, they, if that's even an option but yes on that note i want to bring this episode to an end radhadi it was wonderful just listening to you talk about kathak you almost like weave poetic when you discuss it to speak with so much passion and it's always a joy to hear someone talk like that thank you thank you nice to talk to you